Hey guys, we're on to Hebrews chapter 3 today. Uh, The book of Hebrews, again, is a comparison. And the point of every comparison is to show us Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything the world or religion can offer us. And Jesus is better in his person and his work. So Hebrews is just going to be just parading before us various aspects of the superiority of Christ in comparison to the best uh, religion can offer us. In chapter 3, we come to another comparison, and that is between Moses and Jesus. Now, Moses, uh, a lot of people are familiar with his story in the Old Testament. He sees the burning bush. He's out in the wilderness, and God says, I'm sending you to Egypt. I'm sending you to confront Pharaoh and to say, let my people go. So Moses is sent by God to redeem God's people out of captivity and slavery and to bring them into a new land where they build God's house, bring in God's kingdom on earth so that God can dwell in their midst uh, and be expressed by them, be glorified by them. So first one of chapter three says, therefore, holy brothers, Partakers of a heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus. So chapters three and four are going to be on apostle, but you also see this word high priest. Chapters five through seven are going to be on the high priest. So these are paired together here, though, because apostle and high priest represent a twofold movement between God and man. An apostle goes from God to man, and a high priest goes from man to God. And Jesus is both, plays both roles. He has both offices. And so Jesus is the mediator between God and man. He is the bridge in man and God's relationship. He comes from God and he brings God in that coming to us to share God's life and purpose with us. And then he redeems us and rescues us and bears us into God's presence where we can enjoy God's uh, grace and glory. So, Of course, this chapter is just on the apostle. So Moses was an apostle, and the word apostle means a sent one. Um, But it's an official sent one. It is a delegate, an ambassador, um, an envoy, somebody representing a dignitary going on um, on that one's behalf with an official message and mission to accomplish. Message and mission with official business stamped on it. That's what an apostle is. It's sent to say and do something on behalf of another. So Jesus in the Gospels uh, references this all the time as a sent one. He has sent me. The Father has sent me. Luke 4.18 says, He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. John 6.38 says, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus recognizes his role as a sent one. But the question is, and this is answered in this chapter, what was Jesus sent to do? Well, if we consider Moses, then this comparison will help us understand that and answer that question. Moses ultimately was sent not just to bring a people out of slavery. He was sent to bring people into, um, into the good land, into the building up of God's house. And so Jesus is also sent not just to deliver us from sin, but to build the church. And so Matthew 16, 18, he says, I will build my church. 
But again, he was sent not to do his own will, but the will of him who sent him. So God's will in sending Christ is to redeem us from our sin and to build us up together as his house. And when you look at this section, verse 2 through 6, every single one of these verses mentions the word house. And so this is an obvious connection to this writer between apostleship and house. And verse 3 says, He who built the house has more honor than the house. So this comparison between Moses and Jesus as apostles is, Moses is a servant in the house. Jesus is a son over the house. Moses is simply part of the house. Jesus is the builder of the house. So Jesus is sent by God to build the house that God can dwell in. And that house is us. Verse six says, his house we are. So the point of this chapter then is this. The church as the house of God is the destination of God's calling and the goal of Christ's apostleship. Again, verse one talks about heavenly calling an apostle. So we have been called to something. And that destination where we've been called to is to the church. And of course, the reality of the church, which is the experience of Christ and being built up with others in God's divine life to express him in humanity. And the the goal of Christ's apostleship is just that, the building up of the church. And so the message and mission of, of Jesus as an apostle is the church as the house of God, constituted of sons, built up in God's life for God's dwelling place and glory. Okay, the warning here is don't come short of the promised rest. And so this takes us into the second half of this chapter with verse 11. Um, they shall not enter into my rest. Um, and so again, in the Old Testament, what happened was people came, you know, that group, that first generation came out of Egypt, but, you know, none of them except Joshua and Caleb entered into the goal of the good land. They all fell short. Um and so the danger with us is we may be delivered from our sins. We may be redeemed by God. Uh, we may have experienced forgiveness individually, but we haven't come into the rest. We haven't come into God's purpose, which is the house, the church. So we need to ask ourselves, how much have we entered into God's rest? And what is God's rest? Well, if we look at Isaiah 66.1, this verse says, Where is the place of my rest? What kind of house will you build for me? And then Psalm 132, 13 and 14 says, God has um, chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. Then he says, this is my rest forever. So God's rest is the church. So for us to enter into rest is to enter into the full experience of Christ in the church. And when we do that, we touch God's rest. In other words, we touch his satisfaction and we are satisfied. We've ended our search. We've found the meaning of our lives. We've answered the heavenly calling. The danger here, lastly, is unbelief. They weren't able to enter into the good land because of unbelief. They looked at the giants in the land, which signify the obstacles in front of us, maybe our sin and our past our doubts about our future, our current struggles loom before us like giants uh, blocking our entrance into the good land. In other words, blocking our full experience 
uh, of Christ and our full entrance into God's purpose in the church. Uh, and when we see those things within us, we see how difficult they are, how um, big they seem to us, how insurmountable. We easily shrink from our faith. We doubt that it's ever going to happen with us. So what do we do? What do we do when this is us? Well, in verse two, it says, Jesus is faithful and unbelief is a lack of faith. And the reason this is so serious is because while sin uh, offends God's you know, character and attributes, his righteousness, his holiness, unbelief offends his very person because it's an insult to his own ability and accomplishing his purpose. So what do we do when we find ourselves in unbelief? We look to the faithful Christ who's faithful in his mission to bring us fully into uh, the church. And ultimately, this will resolve in chapter 12, verse 2, which says, looking away unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So when we find ourselves with unbelief, what we should do is look away from our problems, look away from the struggles, look away from our sin, look away unto Jesus. And as the faithful apostle, the faithful high priest, the one who is living and able to save to the uttermost, he will author faith into us and he will perfect our faith so that we're firm, we're confident, we're assured, we're bold, and we come forward regardless of what we're experiencing. We come forward to enjoy Christ and we come into the church to experience Christ and we touch God's rest and God's glory.